Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. What's the word for like the middle of the offseason? Like the middle of the NHL offseason? Because that's where I feel... Solstice? Yeah, like the hockey solstice. Hockey offseason solstice. Definitely there's people who know the, the proper way to use the word solstice who are rolling their eyes right now. Like, wow, these guys are five seconds in already screwing something up. And they're probably like, well, according to when the first game <laughs> of the season is in the NHL and when uh, the last playoff game was, it's actually what the solstice is, was three weeks ago. Yeah. Like, Shut up. You morons. <laughs> <laughs> Quote tweet us, dunk on us. I promise you, maybe one of us will see it. But yeah, it, first of all, July 30th, how? Secondly, this feels like the deepest part of the hockey offseason valley. Actually, you can't tweet at me anymore. You, I, have oh, to I, can't, ex- I can't even say that word. <laughs> I have to, what, excrete at you? Is that yeah. what they're calling it now? Yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, that was unsettling. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say you, you have to X at me, but that sounds way worse. <laughs> I, I have to X. So whatever, man. I don't care. And my, I haven't updated. I've been like putting off updating that app. Am I screwed when I do? It's, it's, Mine just did it automatically. Did it? It's the same oh, thing. So is it just staggered? Yeah. Because ah, mine, I still have Twitter, which is nice. Mine says X. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It still causes me the same pain every time I load it up. But oh, yeah. yeah, it's awful. And until Threads gets an actual following page, like that's borderline unusable. I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. Wherever hockey discourse is, is where we'll be. Yes. I would just like for it to be one place. <laughs> I am but one man and between what is it Twitter threads and blue sky I'm like oh, please god I just want to manage one social media account. Well, if you uh, didn't believe us when we said it's a hockey off season, that should be sad enough. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL and more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco and I'm Evan on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to bring you some uh, assorted NHL news. Patrice Bergeron retired. Sebastian Ajo signed a long-term contract. Some uh, people making snide remarks about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Shocker. Uh, because uh, their goaltender, Murray, went on LTIR. Logan Cooley turns things around and actually doesn't go back to the NCAA and signs his NHL contract. Vladimir Tarasenko just suddenly became an Ottawa senator. And then after that, we'll talk about a conversation that's been, well, speaking of Twitter slash X, uh, floating around since the trade, the DeBrinca trade happened, which is where's Detroit and where's Ottawa? And we'll lump in Buffalo and Montreal there just to uh, evaluate where those teams are at. We'll talk about uh, some Red Wings notes like Valeno being unsigned, and we'll see what else we get into before overtime. Before that, I want to let you know a couple things. First of all, this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to join the dub dub club you get access to a lot of really great benefits first of all you get access to our patreon exclusive uh, overtime episodes which recorded posts right after these main episodes we let loose have fun answer any questions that we didn't get to in the main show uh, generally just have a good time you also get access to our patreon exclusive discord community and you're also entered into all of our giveaways uh, for example last season we gave away two tickets to every detroit red wings home game uh, the vast majority go into our Patreon supporters, and we're going to do the same this year. And we also just gave away an Alex DeBrinca jersey, so that's what you can look forward to. In addition to supporting us on uh, Patreon, I also want to let you know about the roast and toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Littstrom on Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m., presented by Trinity Health, hosted at Motor City Casino in Detroit. Uh, it's going to be a great time. There's uh, a lot of laughs to be had. Host Mike uh, slash Doc Emmerich. Chris Draper, Ian Bagg, Steve Ott, and Jim Ralph will lead those laughs in entertainment. There's two levels of tickets. Uh, the champion ticket gets you cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, the dinner, the auction, uh, the roast and toast, of course. You're going to be rubbing shoulders with NHLers, uh, people in the industry. You'll see us there, I hope. So uh, go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets uh, and get them soon before they run out. Okay, let's start with the news that was uh, biggest across the NHL. And this is one that people saw coming for a little while now. It was actually a little bit surprising that it happened this offseason and not the previous one. But Patrice Bergeron, longtime Boston Bruin, of course, uh, finally called it a, a career. Almost 1,300 games, 427 goals, 613 assists, 1,040 points, and most notably six Selkie trophies. 
I don't say this lightly, you know, Pavel Datsuk is one of my favorite players of all time, but if there's ever anyone in the game who has uh, a trophy to be named after him in the future, Patrice Bergeron and the Selkie might be one down the road. Oh yeah, thousand percent. This is one of those very conflicting days in the hockey world or the day it was announced because as a fan of a team in the Atlantic, oh, I'm ecstatic. Getting Patrice Bergeron the hell out of the Atlantic in any means necessary is a huge win for the other seven teams in that division. You know, having to play against him constantly and his defensive prowess was always a pain. But as a fan of hockey and a hockey appreciator, it's a very somber day because you want to, you can appreciate the talent and the nuance that a player like Patrice Bergeron brought to the game. I can't believe he only had six Selkies. It felt like every single year he won it. And it was just like, well, why even vote this year? Patrice Bergeron's winning again. Well, yeah. part of his career overlapped with that, Souk. Yeah. It, he probably has a case for one or two more in there as well. 100%. And the fact that he was able to do it so effectively so late into his career, like even last season, it's not like he was over the hill. 58 points in 78 games. Like, really... He could have kept going and, and been productive. Mind you, he did talk a lot about the reality of the game, playing at 38 years old. He's had some hard miles, too. Yeah. Didn't yeah. he play a cup final with, like, a collapsed lung and a separated shoulder? Something yes. like that, yeah. Fractured spleen, like, just one of those guys who's an absolute warrior. And he talked about, like, yeah, he can go out there and play and produce, but it got harder to lace up the skates. No longer was it just, you know, you go out the night before, you get six hours of sleep and then you hop on the ice the next day. Like at that age to play the kind of game he plays, you there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. And, you know, you just ran out of steam. And you kind of saw it with the Bruins. Like those guys got together and it felt very much like a, they all agreed, like one last ride this year. And by all rights, after the regular season that they had, it looked like they put together the best shot they had for one last ride. And again, as a, a fan of a, a rival team in the Atlantic and, and rival might be a bit rich considering where Boston is and where Detroit is. It was funny to watch from the outside, but for Bergeron, it's like how this guy walks away with only one Stanley cup. Like that is, it's a team. If you ever want an indication that it's a team sport statistics like that, like Patrice Bergeron with all of his success over his entire career, just one Stanley cup. Like that's a guy who, the way he played, you'd think he'd have three or four robbed of a couple Olympics as well. So, you know, happy for Bergeron, calls it a career, gets to retire. His body can heal a little bit. Let's look at this selfishly from a Red Wings perspective. The Red Wings own the better of their next first-round pick slash the one that they own from the Boston Bruins, which is a 2024 top 10 protected first-round pick, or the if it's top 10, then it slides to a 2025 completely unprotected first-round pick. So Detroit gets to choose which one they want to send. Now, for this to be a really good pick for Detroit, like it kind of has to thread the needle. You essentially want Boston to finish 11th in the draft order next season for Detroit to have the best possible option for that pick. And who knows where they'll finish in, in relation to that pick. But still, Boston, could they be in, in some trouble here? And could this be advantageous for Detroit? Their first line center right now is Pavel Zaka. Wow. Wow. Yeah, this team's in trouble. Uh, not to the point of I think they're going to be, you know, free-falling and all of a sudden that top 10 lottery pick looks very much uh, an option. I don't think they're that bad. They still have Marshan, Pasternak, two great goalies, McAvoy. They're they're fine. They're not a cup contender anymore, I don't think, unless they solve some problems. But yeah, Bergeron was... Not only the the driver of that team, he was also, you know, known as one of the best leaders in all of sport. So losing a guy like that in the locker room surely can't be beneficial either. I don't know. This is not a, a short-term, oh my God, we're in trouble for Boston, but you now can clearly see the writing on the wall for what the next five to 10 years are going to look like for the Bruins because they have nothing to speak of in the farm system. The core on the team is aging, and it's at the perfect confluence of Ottawa, Buffalo, and Detroit really hitting the gas on their progression. So now not only does Boston still have to compete with Florida, Tampa, Toronto, I don't think the Bruins are that much further ahead than those other three teams. I think Montreal is the only one truly lagging here. So there is a reality, 
I wouldn't call it an all, all that likely one where Boston's, you know, battling for sixth or seventh this year because, you know, if Detroit takes a step, Buffalo takes a step, Ottawa takes a step, it's not crazy. Now, keep in mind, Boston would have to drop off like 40 points in the standings for that to be even a possibility. But again, they lost Bertuzzi, Taylor Hall, Dmitry Orlov. Now Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, that's a dramatically different team, and they did not bring in a ton of talent to offset it. I have gone wrong on this podcast over the eight and a half years we've been doing it by betting against Boston multiple times. This one, the evidence is actually there. Like before, like, oh, they're getting old. Yeah. Now it's like they are losing players. One thing I will say, though, is teams who have been good for a long time I find that their drop isn't that precipitous. Like it, it, it's they, never this rapid because they. It's going to sound like I'm talking about intangibles, but they have a winning system. They have a winning culture. Those guys know how to battle and win games. And I know it's hard to quantify that and, and put it into something tangible that you can latch onto. But it's a real thing, especially in hockey. That doesn't just go away overnight. Now you've pulled out one of the most important cogs in that in Patrice Bergeron, of course, but. As Brad said, they still have a lot of really key players there. McAvoy, Marchand, uh, that the goaltending should still be really, really good. So that doesn't all go away. But I don't know. Like This might be the point where, like you said, Brad, Boston falters enough and the team's chomping at the heels from behind catch them. It would have to be dramatic for them to, to fall off, you know, all the way to the bottom. So I'm not projecting that, but... No longer are you going to say, yeah, the top three is absolutely Toronto, Tampa Bay, Boston. I, I could see a, a shakeup here. So again, as a reminder, the reason we're talking about this is because Detroit owns one of two first round picks next year, either their own or the one that Boston sent them. And it depends on which one Detroit decides to send to Ottawa. And that's part of the Debrinket trade. And it also depends on if Boston's first round pick is actually the 2024 pick. If Boston ends up in the top 10 of the draft order, in the 2024 draft, then it moves to 2025 unprotected. And Detroit still has the option of sending whichever one they want to. Okay, uh, some other news. Sebastian Ajo signs himself a long-term deal. Carolina uh, brings him in for eight years at $9.75 million, which you know is notable because it's an eight-year contract for a premier player in the NHL. So thoughts overall on the deal. But also, the comparison is drawn a lot to Larkin, you know, similar if you think they're in the same tier in terms of output, statistics, their role in the team, et cetera, et cetera. So how does that make you feel about Larkin's deal as well as your reaction to the deal? Man, first-line centers are expensive, aren't they? I don't know. I really like Sebastian Ajo as a player. Uh, big fan. So when I saw the contract, my first thought was that's perfectly reasonable. In my head, I've always had him ahead of Dylan Larkin in terms of you know uh, quality of first-line center. I think it's a good deal for the player. Good deal for the team. My only question here, and it won't matter because he re-signed with the same team, is is Sebastian Ajo actually that good or is he a little bit inflated because he plays on such a strong team and such a strong system? Like, Would Dylan Larkin be putting up similar numbers if they were switched? I don't know if it would be to the same extent, but I think there's a conversation that they they are more comparable than I think a lot of people would think. Yeah, the question was posed, like, which one would you prefer? And credit to Ajo, phenomenal player. I still think I take him like he's, the what he brings to the game is, I think, not overrated or underrated. I do think sometimes overlooked. But yeah, you can't deny the fact that that system really elevates its players. And it, that's not just on defense. It's not just like the defenseman making the goalie seem a lot better. There is support on offense as well. So the system overall, I'm sure, does do something to amplify Aho. So I don't think it's crazy to pull Larkin into that tier and, and make the comparison, especially based on contract. So yeah, it does actually make me feel good about the price that Detroit paid for their first line center, which wasn't cheap. Like They paid a premium on Larkin, but at no point are you seeing guys in and around him going for way less by any means. Yeah, it's not like the Red Wings weren't even in the ballpark. I think Clearly, they were well where they needed to be. And, 
you know, as some of these other contracts start to come out, it should make everybody feel a lot better if they were maybe a little bit hesitant on the the dollar amount for for Dylan. Matt Murray. This one's just funny uh, because it's people are really up in arms about it and it was kind of coming from a mile away. But the Maple Leafs obviously perpetually in cap hell have been forever, will be forever. Somehow, and no one knows how it happened like this, but the Matt Murray trade that they made turned out terrible for them and, you know, hasn't been good, injured, etc. Is he still hurt from when Raymond ran and like tripped and fell behind him? In and among other things, like there was a lot of things that did. And he was available for round two of the playoffs. But, Whatever that may mean. Yeah. But never actually got in. So, and he's just been hurt his whole career. Yeah. I don't know what his injuries are injuries are specifically, but I think at this point we can uh, classify them all as permanent and or recurring. Pretty much. And everyone was, a lot of people were really up in arms. It's like, ah, oh, Toronto, you know, cap circumvention because he was, he said he was ready to, uh, or available to play in the playoffs. And like, look, I love dunking on Toronto. I really do. It's one of the few things in life that brings me like pure unfettered joy. But for this one, it's like, yeah, the players said they're ready to go because they want to compete in the playoffs. I don't think it's a far stretch based on what the threshold has been to stick a guy on LTIR. I'm sure he's held together by like paper mache and duct tape at this point. Doesn't the league send like a... Oh, yeah, they a, investigate. I'll call it a league doctor. Yeah. In to sort of confirm and be like, yeah, this guy cannot play hockey. Yeah, he, he does all the same tests, but instead of like the little rubber hammer for the, the kneecap to chest the reflexes, he actually uses a hockey stick and waxing mm-hmm. the shins. Every time something like this comes up, I always have to laugh that, you know, people actually think the player would be willingly in on this cap circumvention. Like, oh yes, no, I would totally prefer this over, you know, playing hockey. There sometimes sometimes there would be a situation like star player gets hurt in January and takes time off until oh, April and they're rested. Yeah. Oh, hey, hey man, can you take an extra two, three weeks off just so we can, you know, uh, have that extra cap for the playoffs. I don't think Kucherov or Mark Stone will rush him back, but this isn't that. No. This is, hey, you're not going to play hockey to start this year because uh, we need you to be hurt, uh, but I'm not hurt. Oh, but you're hurt and we're going to put you on LTIR. It doesn't work that way. Like the player has to be like, no, yeah, I'm hurt. I am actively hurt. Like, hey, the last time you tried to push off the post, you winced in, p- in pain in your you know, entire left leg collapsed. Like, That's why he kept pushing the net off. <laughs> yeah, that got so annoying. I really, dude, everything around the Leafs, good or bad, gets annoying. Yeah, it does. Right, like, oh God. only only in Leafland could a uh, backup goalie who's been perpetually injured for six years bring out conspiracy theories when he is injured again. You almost, you almost want them to win so the narratives around them become just move back into the realm of reality and or stuff that matters. Like, are you really talking about their second or third goalie being on LTIR as drama right now? I don't want them to win. That's a fair point. You make a good objective argument, and I think you're correct. A couple of signings that are notable. Logan Cooley signs his ELC three-year deal, obviously, with Arizona. And this one's notable because Logan Cooley was apparently going to go back to college this year. Yeah, and- that was like a big to-do for a while. And that was scary for Arizona because people are saying like, hey, Logan Cooley can play in the NHL right now. Logan, we've got a college arena you can play in right now. (laughs) Well, that's why he changed his mind because the the big bright lights of uh, the University of Minnesota were getting a little too much for him. So he wanted to scale it down a little bit. Yeah, the media availability is too crazy in this (laughs) college arena. I really need to, uh, you know, try to be back in the shadows. So I'll play in the NHL. He pulled a Bo Bo Horvat going from the Vancouver media to the Islanders, which is just a little easier on him. He's like, "Uh, I'm at that point in my career where I just want some peace and quiet just to enjoy myself with my family, you know, move to a nicer, uh, nicer climate to live in. And so, yeah, I'm going to Arizona. Sure. Smaller crowds and stuff, but I understand the logic completely. It's really good. First of all, really good for Arizona because they get what's going to be one of, if not the most important players in their core playing in the NHL right now. I think he's a, not quiet, but like a genuine candidate for the Calder Trophy this year, depending on how he stacks up against Bedard. And, I mean, this is a win for Arizona. A team that is allergic to wins on or off the ice. Like, this is huge for them, and it staves off any conversation of what if Logan Cooley goes four years and doesn't sign with Arizona and leaves as a free agent, which absolutely was a fear within the organization, and you can't convince me that it wasn't because... 
that is the mo- that would have been the most Arizona thing to ever happen. He's just going to structure his NHL contracts to get him out of there as quick as possible. He's, he goes to his agent, what is the soonest I can have any leverage? And then let's schedule to that. Well, in all honesty, like earning potential, like you're, if you go back to college for four years, like you have to do some calculations Oh yeah, as a, uh, as a college player who will have some kind of desire and free agency. Okay. You want to go that route? Sure. But how many millions are you giving up now each year? And are you going to be able to make up for that at the end of your college career? So they have agents and stuff to inform them on that. But. Yeah, you're probably better off taking your entry-level deal as soon as possible, get some signing bonuses in there. Your sponsorships, I would imagine, could kick in as well because I doubt that the NCAA, I'd, how the NCAA works and pay how players sort of get paid under the table, I'm, I have no idea anymore. So you probably wouldn't get sponsorship dollars at, not anywhere can, close to the NHL. Not level. anywhere close to that. So, yeah, if you're looking from a financial perspective, I would imagine getting into the NHL as fast as possible would be the most lucrative. It's also like, you know what? I, I'm not going to take like a, a donkey on the Yotes Avenue here. This is his opportunity to make it his team. He'll play a ton. There's Is there any guarantee that they're going to be in Arizona in two, three, four years? <laughs> no, but by all rights, this is a team without an identity right now or at least one that's good, he's he's able to come in and make it his team. So good for him. I'm excited to watch him. I love Logan Cooley as a player, love him as a prospect, and I'm happy that he's in the NHL. The Calder crop this year is going to be really interesting to see play out. Like There's a lot of really strong candidates. Good luck making those preseason bets on, on Calder odds. Well, you just throw all your money on Connor Bedard understanding that he's going to be playing 28 minutes a night for Chicago. That's fair, yeah. I don't think they're going to take him off the ice in the power play. No, no, they won't. And they're probably going to ask nothing of him defensively. Kyle from Chicago won't allow it. And he's correct. Another signing that raised my eyebrows, Vladimir Tarasenko, who apparently at one point agreed to a deal with Carolina and then it didn't actually happen. Then he fired his agent and then there was deals or offers to him from various teams across the league. Ends up signing a one-year, $5 million deal with the Ottawa Senators. Which is, honestly, I think a win-win, both sides. Ottawa really has nothing to, to lose. They had to replace some kind of offense with Debrinket. Do they get him long-term? No. Do I think he'll stay there long-term? Uh, hard to say. Depends on how things go. Tarasenko obviously wants more money and just wants to cash in once the cap goes up and just wasn't happy with what was being offered. Wants to go somewhere and play a full year healthy to show that he still has a lot left in the tank. So gets $5 million for this year, which is nothing to scoff at. And then hopefully gets a little bit of a longer-term deal next year. This one makes sense to me uh, for both sides. Yeah, obviously Ottawa had the, you know, replace the giant hole that Alex Debrinkit left in their roster. And, you know, Tarasenko's not Debrinkit, but he's good. He can still produce. Not like he used to, but he should be good for 20 to 25 goals. So, you know, losing to Brinkett, but replacing him with, you know, the cumulative stats that Kubelik and Tarasenko put up is not not that big of a loss. In fact, while it's only for one year, it's probably a gain. But obviously that's not the key part of that deal. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Tarasenko could have a lot of outcomes here. You know, with his health history... You look at his performance the last couple of years in St. Louis and the Rangers, and there's a lot of inconsistency here, but there have been a lot of flashes of, oh, he's still that dude. So I am super curious to see, especially because Ottawa, they're a young up and coming team with a pretty deep top six. I really, really wonder where Tarasenko's actually slotting in here. Well, and the other thing is he's won a cup before, I'm sure a young inexperienced team they wanted some veteran leadership in there too you know he had his disagreements with the with the staff in st louis so obviously this will be a nice change for him but yeah it really is a win-win you know tarasenko gets to play this year it's only one year ottawa gets what they need in a player and then you know if it's a good fit maybe he resigns who knows if not tarasenko's timing the uh, cap increase at a very well Let's feed this into a conversation that has been going on very calmly on Twitter, or should I call it X, for months now. Both sides have been, you know, rational, very normal, 
definitely not way too online. But Senators fans and Red Wings fans have been rabid going at each other's throats about which team is better or worse off for this year. And overall, you're looking at the Atlantic Division and you're saying, okay, what's going to go on with these teams that aren't the foregone conclusions to be in the mix? So, you know, take out Boston, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Florida. You have Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, Montreal. That's the order that they finished in last year. 91, 86, 80, and 68 points respectively across the four. How are they going to move forward? Because all three teams, or all four teams, I should say, are making steps in their own ways at different speeds. Some are perceived to be, you know, ahead of others, but how do they all match up? What's the order going to be here? Detroit adds some offense into Brinkett. Ottawa replaces it with Tarasenko. Buffalo had a late season surge and it just looks fantastic with Tage Thompson, Dylan Cousins, Darlene and Owen Power. Like, there's a lot to be said about these groups and you know, the actual order is, is going to be really hard to hammer out. I, I feel like without shortchanging one group or another. Understanding that hockey is a very random sport and there's always going to be weird outcomes and, you know, this and that and injuries can affect things like Buffalo's right now closer to the Tampa tier than they are the Detroit Ottawa tier. In my opinion, they are so far ahead of the other three. You look at their defense. Uh, look at the left side of their defense alone. Darlene, Power, Samuelson. They are set for the next decade on that side of their D. And like top end players, the right side, they got some guys coming, but they can always fill it together. In net, Devin Levi looks like the absolute truth. And even Uko Pekalukanen's far from a write-off. He's still got a ton of potential. And then up front, like you already mentioned, Tage Thompson, Dylan Cousins, you know, Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, JJ Paterka. Matt Savoy. Matt Savoy. Zach Benson. Like, not only are they good, they're young. They are not leaning on, this team is at no position leaning on anyone old. Their stars in net are young. At every key position on a hockey team, the Red, uh, the Red Wings, the Sabres are loaded with young stars, legitimately stars. I would argue outside of maybe the Devils, there isn't a team position better for long, long-term success than the Buffalo Sabres right now. Now keep in mind, this is the Buffalo Sabres and there's always a way they buffalo this up. So they are far from a guarantee given who they are as an organization, but they have stable ownership now, stable management and a good coach and a stacked roster. I, I really struggle to see Detroit or Ottawa, at least in the short term, really keeping up with what Buffalo's doing and honestly what they're going to do. I Again, I would not be surprised if Buffalo gets a divisional seat in the playoffs this year. I don't think Toronto, Tampa, Florida, and Boston are that much further ahead than Buffalo, if at all. My thing with Buffalo, though, is they gave up 300 goals last year. In the Atlantic Division, that was only... Yeah, on the back of Eric Comrie and the ghost of Craig Anderson. Right. And, you know, Montreal was the only team in the Atlantic Division that gave up more with 307 and Columbus in the other division, but still in the East, gave up 330 because, wow, Columbus. But Detroit gave up 21 fewer goals than Buffalo. Mind you, Buffalo scored 56 more goals than Detroit. For the, I agree with you. Long term, this team is positioned extraordinarily well. Extraordinarily well. And they've had... The acquisitions, the draft picks, the way Tage Thompson has come through, Darlene, anyone who doubted him just doesn't understand the way defense progress over time. Absolutely agree. Like, this team is really, really well positioned long term. I just hesitate to say that they're going to make a colossal jump next season. I could see it happening. I would maybe bet on it to some degree of certainty, but not saying, yeah, it's absolutely going to be, you know, they're going to be the one that's going to be head and shoulders above the rest. I do this think they're single season, sure. But over time, 100% agree. They are the leading contender. If you're going to if you're going to lump Detroit, Ottawa, Buffalo and uh, uh Montreal together, Buffalo is head and shoulders above them in terms of what they should accomplish. Yeah, a 1000%. Like for me at this point, it's not if they take a massive step, it's when. Could it be this year? Sure. Could it be the year after? Sure. I mean, they missed the playoffs by one point this year. Everybody talks about Pittsburgh just missing because of that game against Chicago. Buffalo was also right there. They were one point behind the team that went to the Stanley Cup final. Like, it's just to keep it in perspective, I know hockey's random, but 
Buffalo, it's not like Buffalo needs to take a massive leap this year to be relevant. If they jump 10 points in the standings, which I think is very reasonable, just simply through the progression of Owen Power no longer being a rookie, you know, another year of Dylan Cousins' progression, another year of a bunch of their, a million of their young players' progressions is probably worth five to 10 points in the standings. And if that's 10 points, that's they're, a divisional seed. They're over 100 points. Like they do yeah. not need to take that big of a step to crack a hundred. So, yeah, I it, it's hard to not really like what Buffalo's doing in the short term, and more importantly, in the long term. Because as this goes on, I think the tiers have become very clear in the Atlantic, in terms of you have your still good but regressing in Tampa and Boston, your good but a lot of uncertainty with their futures, mainly because of contracts in Toronto, Florida. Then you have Buffalo, the big wild card in terms of they could be really, really good. Then you have Detroit and Ottawa battling it out for sixth. And then <laughs> way down there in the Grand Canyon, you have the Montreal Canadiens. And they're eating glue. Yeah. These teams are having a mid-off. <laughs> uh, the I have chosen not to partake in the X or Twitter war between Sens fans and Red Wings fans. Because truly, it's embarrassing. It's so like <laughs> a mid. No, a mid off isn't even apt because they are not in the middle of this division. They are, <laughs> they are arguing who is the third worst and who is the second worst. Well, let's talk about Detroit and Ottawa. Let's let's jump into that fray. You know, Detroit did peel a player off Ottawa in uh, Alex DeBrinket. Ottawa got Dominic Kubelik. You know, whatever you feel about that trade, Detroit does add a good long-term player in Alex Dabrinkit. Ottawa right now is seemingly in the throes of of reckoning with, hey, the rebuild's over, even though it very obviously wasn't. But also moving forward with some really big successes, like Tim Stutzla has been, throughout his entire career, his short career so far, fantastic, but just looks phenomenal. Brady Kachuk has made a lot of people, myself included, have egg on their face in terms of what his impact would actually be. And you know, is the kind of player that a lot of teams in the league covet. And they're going to get Josh Norris back from long-term injury. You know, Claude Giroux's there. Uh, Shabbat and Sanderson, not to mention the uh, Chikrin, who they acquired. Like, there's a lot to Ottawa that's going extremely well. That's a team that genuinely is, like, if you look through the noise of people screaming rapidly on one side of the argument or, or the other, Ottawa has done quite a bit to make themselves better. Is it at Buffalo's pace? No, I don't think so. But I think they have probably the ne- next best bet on paper by a, a thinner margin over Detroit in terms of who could jump into that fray. Ottawa's definitely ahead of Detroit right now, but that's mostly because most of their prospects have graduated. Yeah. They don't have a ton left in the system that isn't already up with the big club in terms of impact players, whereas I would argue most of Detroit's future big impact players are not there yet. So for this upcoming season, yeah, I, I do think Ottawa has an edge and probably for another two or three seasons. Again, hockey's random, not saying Detroit can't take them out, but on paper, Ottawa's ahead. Long term, I would argue Detroit's probably got more potential just by the sheer volume of impact players they could have. But a lot of that is predicated on most of these players hitting for Detroit. And we've talked about that. That's the problem with Detroit's rebuild and the way the draft has went is they need to beat the odds in terms of, you know, their prospects hitting. They can't, like Danielson, Casper, and Edvinson as a trio can't miss a single one. They all have to hit. They all have to hit in some degree. Yeah. And then between, you know, Mazur, Soderblom, Lombardi, they probably need at least two, which again is not fair to guys who are all taken third round or later. But that's the reality they sit in. Unfortunately, you know, Sandine Pelica probably can't miss. Kosa definitely can't miss. I think, hot take, I think they actually have more leeway to miss with Kosa than well, in terms of the player, not the expenditure of draft capital. That yeah, that's sense. fair. And obviously, Trey Augustine's not a bad safety net. But, you know, that's the one that Kosa could be their big advantage over Ottawa because Ottawa's got Corpus Allo as. That should play out reasonably well for him, but Corpus Allo's ceiling isn't all that high and his inconsistency is very noted. And if Costa comes in and turns into a star, that could be the, 
you know, the difference between the two, ultimately, if we're talking five years down the road. So Ottawa is ahead now and they have a little more certainty to their future than Detroit does. But if things break the way Detroit needs them to, then I think long-term Detroit's probably looking at a strong, a stronger window, if that makes sense. Yeah. But Ottawa's much closer to hitting their window than Detroit is. I like the note you made about Ottawa's prospects have graduated. And that's not to be reductive. Like, I really do think Stutzla has been fantastic. Obviously, Brady Kachuk, has, that's his team. Like, there's no minimizing that. But there's been a little bit of a back and forth in terms of, you know, Stutzla just had a great season. Then Raymond had a great season. Then Stutzla had a great season. So if Raymond takes a, the big step that we know he can take and it comes next season, then the narrative shifts that much. If the players that the Red Wings brought in, which, you know, it's a, it's another big shift in the overall DNA of this team. So it's a big ask to say, yeah, these players are going are to come in and mesh extremely well right away. But if they do, that's another big push forward. The prospects change things. Does Casper break into the roster? Does Edmondson by the end of the season become a top four regular? Like these are all things that are a big ask in a singular lens and you want all of them to come together. That's why I say, and, and Brad says, Detroit comes in just behind Ottawa in terms of what they can put down on paper and in likelihood, but it is not a foregone conclusion that Ottawa will come out ahead of Detroit right now. Like they are very much battling neck and neck. And in 365 days time, this narrative could be wildly shifted just based on, you know, players progressing internally on either team. And both of these teams are would be heavily impacted by one of their main components being injured for a long period of time. So, you know, who's going to finish sixth versus seventh could be very well dependent on availability totally. of their star players. But yeah, just looking at, like, the defensive cores, for example, do I think Ottawa's is better right now? Yeah, certainly. But, you know, if you inject Edvinson and Sandine Pelica into Detroit's roster, you know, I start to really have... A bit of a thought exercise, you know, in two, three years. Yeah. I think Detroit would have the better defensive core there. So, yeah, Ottawa is a more realized team, and Detroit still has a ton of potential and growth, I think. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if it's the best way to put it. The, Ottawa this year is going into the experimental phase, whereas Detroit's future is still theoretical. Yeah. Realized, yeah, versus three, theoretical, that's a good way to put it. It health. I think you're right, Evan. I think health is going to dictate these. Both these teams aren't deep enough to just have the next guy up, and they don't miss a beat. I think if we're talking, yeah, standings, couple injuries, and both teams are are free falling. Well, that's the one area, at least if we're talking for this specific season. Detroit definitely has an advantage on Ottawa is depth. Yeah. I think Detroit's better positioned to handle an injury. Let's say. You know, in a hypothetical world where Perron and Giroux both get hurt, you know, just I'm not that they're equal players, but just hypothetical old guys who could get hurt. Yeah. Detroit would be able to fill that gap far better than Ottawa would because Ottawa's, you can almost cut their forward group in half, Mm -hmm. like in terms of that chasm between their top six and their bottom six. Whereas Detroit has the opposite problem, which is still a problem, which is. That third and fourth line is still a little too similar to the second line, but at least it makes for easier transitions when stuff goes wrong. Yeah, the peaks are not as high for sure, but it does. it's not such a steep drop-off. Yeah. And, you know, we should qualify this all by saying, some folks might be thinking, oh, where, didn't you have criticisms about the COP contract to some degree or the JT Comfort contract to some degree? And yeah, to some degree, yes, there is some concern about the term, depending on which one of us you're talking about, maybe. But as of right now, those two players should be able to come in and have strong, effective seasons. They're not going to be Tim Stutzla out there, either of them. But in a way that's not going to be as flashy on paper, a more solid middle part of your lineup could be what makes a difference. I think what it honestly is going to boil down to, as dumb as it is, is whose backup goalie is better and which team stays healthier. A lot more certainty in Ottawa's net as well. I do like their short-term goaltending much better than Detroit's because, you know, I think Huso and Corpusalo, like when they're both on, are very similar. But, yeah, I don't have the faith in Reimer, Alex Lyon, that I would in uh, Anton Forsberg, again, who's coming off a very good year. I don't know. Maybe. Who's, it seemed, that, that to me seems like a wash. Like Corpusalo, Forsberg versus Huso's against Lyon, Reimer. I could see that going any direction. Availability, once again. 100%.
best ability. And Montreal, just to give them the time of day here, are they that far behind where it's not going to be a concern if you're one of the up-and-coming teams that they're going to be hot on your heels soon enough? Uh, no, they are that far behind. I really don't like anything that they're doing, which as a fan of the Red Wings is great. You know, Nick Suzuki isn't Dylan Larkin. I don't think he's going to be as good as Dylan Larkin. And right now he is their only solution at center for a while. Him and Kirby Doc. And Kirby Doc, you know. It's that, a great reclamation project. Yeah, there. I mean, he he's certainly made that Romanov trade look worthwhile, but he's hot and cold and they're banking on him being like a true number two center. You know, Cole Caulfield and Alex DeBrinket are unbelievably similar players uh, to compare him to the Red Wings. Caulfield obviously being a bit younger, but man, there is not a lot to write home about anywhere else in that organization. Yeah, they got some decent prospects. Reinbacher is obviously pretty good. Uh, Caden Gooley on the back end is pretty good. They have Lane Hudson too. And again, he looks like he could be unreal, but until... The question with him has always been, is he a stud? No, he's always been a stud, but is it going to translate to the NHL at his size? He has to be He's Quinn. really good so far. Yeah, he has to be Quinn Hughes or it's not going to work in the NHL. And that is very much in the realm of possibility for him. Yeah. But far from a sure thing. But, and yeah, Montreal, like, Montreal is going to run into that issue Detroit has where they just don't have a superstar. It's just not there. We'll see how Reinbacher turns out. Again, I like Reinbacher. He's not, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I, I like Lane Hudson. I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I like Nick Suzuki. He's not a superstar. Like Cole Caulfield, he's not a superstar. Like the similarities to where Detroit was a few years ago to where Montreal is now is pretty stark. Lafreniere goes back to Quebec. Ultimate reclamation project finds his game. It was all the Rangers' fault all along, <laughs> and he becomes their superstar, leads them to the playoffs. As much as that would hurt from a Detroit Red Wings point of view, I want that to be true just because New York has annoyed me with winning Kako and Lafreniere and neither of them have turned out to be what they should be as players. It would be hilarious from that perspective. I think so. Also, Slavkovsky obviously didn't have right. the season that right. he wanted to have. But Again, he's still going to be a good player, but he's not going to be a star, like a superstar. So in terms of standings, yeah, Buffalo, like you were saying at the top, Brad, Buffalo had 91 points. They should get better. Even if they are hit by injury, it would be hard to see them tumble down the order. Ottawa finished with 86, Detroit with 80. Detroit really got hit by injuries at the end, kind of fell off a cliff after, well, right before the trade deadline when they played Ottawa twice, but those teams I, I still think are neck and neck. Health goaltending might dictate which one finishes above the other. I don't see a huge chasm between the two. And yeah, Montreal, you know, I gave them the time of day for the sake of the conversation, but they were 12 points behind. So to see that order shaken up would be a pretty big surprise, but I won't rule it out. I think if the, I think all the change in the standings in the Atlantic this year is likely coming in the top half of it, not the bottom. Unless Buffalo moves into it. That's exactly yeah. what I'm thinking. I uh, think and, Buffalo and could Boston. jump up to shake things up. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Okay. Let's get to uh, some other Red Wings news. And we haven't really talked about it because it's kind of been, you know, a wait and see situation, but just for the sake of, of addressing it. Joe Valeno is still unsigned for the Detroit Red Wings. They're only RFA currently who is unsigned. Arbitration is uh, not the case for this one, so he's not part of all those players going through that process right now. Just has to sign the contract. Now, there's plenty of time left, so not raising any alarm bells or anything like that, but July 30th, no contract. Any idea of what you think the contract will be, should be, any concern, if at all, on your end? No, none. There's contracts like this seemingly every year with the Red Wings and every year it gets to a point in like mid to late August where people start freaking out and every time without fail it gets worked out completely drama free it's probably you know this is not based on any information this is just conjecture but whenever you have a bottom half of the lineup hold out like this it's it could be something so stupid as yeah there he's on vacation or they're just not concerned about it or they have things more or less hammered out and they just have to tackle one detail. Or they're not holding out, but really grinding based on one detail that is, to the fans, small, but to the team and the player, big on principle. So it could be one year versus two years. And that's the thing that happens a lot with these players. They want two years or they only want one or the team is big on not going over 1.75 and the player is like, nope, I want two. Like, Stuff that won't move the needle really in terms of the overall cap structure and things like that, but 
for the players, it's important. And for the team, I mean, we know how Steve Eisenman operates. There is no small contract on this team. Generally grinds most of his guys. Doesn't matter how many times he's driven to uh, on road trips together with them in the car. Uh, so f- I, I think this Valeno situation is probably something like that. Like you're, you're looking at a short-term contract, if not a one-year deal for what, one and a half to two and a half maybe? In and around that range, give or take? It will not be significant either way. Valeno still has every, you know, opportunity here to seize and control his spot in the lineup. You might be saying he's done that already. I think just with the amount of talent that the Red Wings have added, I don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion. Like if Valeno comes in, you know, let's say he signs, has a terrible camp, and he's outperformed by all, like Costin and Fisher and Berggren and anyone else who might be in that bottom six. Like let's say even Soderblom, he might find himself on the outs and having to work his way back in the lineup. But by all rights, Valeno is still projecting to be Detroit's bottom six center solution long-term. Third, fourth line guy. That's probably where he's going to end up if he sticks in Detroit. But we've talked about it time and time again. Is he a massive needle mover? No, but it's better for your third and fourth line centers to be Joe Valeno's long-term than it to be, you know, a 36-year-old journeyman because that's the only thing that you can put there or, you know, not try to disparage the guy, but the Red Wings have often had Luke Helm or Luke Helm, Luke Glendening or Darren Helm They're way too long. the same player. It's fine. Yeah, right? So it'll get done. It's not going to be a massive needle mover either way. Okay. It's the off season. Let's jump into the fun stuff here, which is our overtime segment. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the dub dub club, uh, again, you get access to our overtime bonus episodes. You get access to our off season midweek bonus episodes, which are exclusively for patrons. And that way you still get the winged wheel podcast twice a week in your ears. The midweek episode for the entire offseason is Patreon exclusive. You also get entered into our giveaways and get uh, access to the Discord. Uh, in addition to all of that, you help us support the show. You help support our expanded Winged Wheel podcast content network. Expected by whom is now up to two NHL assistant GMs interviewed on their show. Give them a follow and listen to the show. Uh, Sean and Prashanth have done a phenomenal job with Expected by Whom. And you also help us support the Jamie Daniels Foundation Uh, through fundraising for them and through initiatives like Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. That's all funded by us, and so our patrons are really the ones who make that happen. Okay, let's take some questions from our patrons, and we will start here with Give Walman the Heart says, do you guys think Casper has a better chance of hypothetically making the team slotted in at first line left wing with Larkin into Brinkett or Raymond, or as a 2C. So which hypothetical scenario is more likely for Casper to make the team? This season or long-term? Let's say the season for the hypothetical. Wing. Neither's happening this year, but wing is the more likely. Yeah, both are unlikely, but second-line center is a big, big role in the NHL. I mean, Casper does play a kind of game that I think will translate to the pro game a little bit faster than average, but yeah, second-line center is a huge role in the NHL. And they have capable guys there. Between Cop and Comfort, you're almost better off sticking at the wing. Uh, it's your boy, Al, says, is everyone on this team destined to make less than Larkin? I've heard you guys talk about the captaincy factor before, but from your last episode, it sounds like Cider will probably make more. It depends. Internal cap structures are really beneficial for teams. Detroit has a history of it. They've done it in the past, and they've often tied it like, you know, no one makes more than Litstrom or whoever it is. It's really hard to manage those things because right now Detroit paid Larkin for a lot of years that will come with the cap raise, but with the cap going up as much as it's going to over the next two plus years, if Sider comes in and has an all-star season and it gets Norris votes, it might be hard to bring him in under Larkin's number. But if you ask Steve Eiserman that question, the answer will probably be an emphatic yes. Well, I mean, not to simplify this too much, but outside of Mo Sider, there isn't anyone in the organization likely to be better than Dylan Larkin. So Lucas Raymond could, but it's not going to be the next contract. And he's also a winger. Right. Which is a less premium position. That's a really good point. So yeah, it would be good for the cap structure for Steve Eisenman for that to be the case, but it's going to take some massaging of contracts. Whoever does Detroit Red Wings capology is going to have uh, some, some work cut out for them. But that, I mean, 
the negotiations are going to be a grind, which is a you know big surprise for Steve Eisman. Brian Vasha says, while in Ber- oh, no way, while in Berlin wearing the podcast T-shirt, I ran into a couple that also listens to the show. That's incredible. <laughs> of all places, yeah, that's amazing. Anyways, the Wings continue to get negative reviews on their activity, even with the DeBrinket steal. Does this team need to start out on a heater to get some respect? Thanks. I think so because they ended last season on a stinker. That's happened two years in a row where they started off strong and then fizzled out. The only difference with last year is they held on a little longer. So, yeah, I don't think how they start is going to matter that much because they've held playoff spots, you know, in November, December, January, the last couple of years. To get respect, they got to finish, not start. They got to go through a whole damn season without falling off a cliff. And let's call a spade a spade. People are going to be critical because they brought in Justin Hall. And to some degree, they're like, oh, Detroit's big signing was JT Comfer. And that's not really fair to JT Comfer. He wasn't meant to be the DeBrinket trade. But the DeBrinket trade didn't happen until all of that afterwards. So a lot of people's opinions were cemented. You know, some of the criticisms are fair and some are not. And it really is going to depend on how this team comes together. Now, we said last season this is a brand new team with a brand new coach and it's going to take them time to gel. And it took a little bit to click, but Derek Lalonde did a phenomenal job of pulling that team together to be better than the sum of their parts. And that sum wasn't very high. Like the way they came and played team defense, like this team all of a sudden played much better defensively. He has more to work with, but he almost has the same task ahead of him this year. So there's the, pretty much the same kind of qualifier there. Neck says, what's the benefit of keeping Joe Valeno at fourth line center instead of Marco Casper or another prospect? Uh, prospects you want to play. At this point, we know Joe Valeno is probably not going to be a top six forward. Casper probably could be. So it's important for him to play more than nine minutes a night wherever he's playing. I'll say this team under Eisenman's direction has shown time and time again that if a guy earns a spot, he gets the spot. So if Casper does earn it over Valeno, he'll earn it over Valeno. Like he won't be artificially held down unless, you know, he earns it over Valeno, but then he can't handle the grind of the NHL season. And then what Brad says goes like, it's not going to be 11 minutes tonight in the NHL. They'd rather have him play 19 plus with the Grand Rapids Griffins. The Gyms says, happy almost August WWP crew. I have an overtime rule change for you to weigh in on. In overtime, three-on-three, there is no offside. It would end the constant zone exit to maintain possession. Wow. I hate that. (laughs) You like it. I know you like it. Whatever gets rid of the stupid regroup bullshit. I do hate the regroup, too. I'm wondering if they need an over and back rule in overtime. I don't like the idea of getting rid of offsides. Like, that's, to me... it just changes the game fundamentally. What are we going to review much. then? Goaltender interference. You're Let's damn just get right. rid of goalies. <laughs> Brad's making a lot of enemies. He's alienated defensemen. He's alienated goalies. What do you think of the proposed they, rule? They though? are my two biggest enemies, so that is perfectly okay by me, Ryan. <laughs> that, that's right. As as a cherry picker, they are your two biggest. As enemies. a lifelong all gas, no breaks forward. <laughs> <laughs> this man only sees zone entries. There is actually aren't enough. Ta- talking about theoretical stuff, that's the defensive zone for me. <laughs> In beer league. Okay. So d- would you prefer to, what do you think of the rule change? Get rid of offsides in OT? I think there's other solutions I would try first, but yes, I would prefer that over how it's currently played. Okay. I'm indifferent. You? Indifferent? That... If it's going overtime, that's way past my bedtime anyway, so I'm not watching. Doesn't matter. Uh, this is a little bit of a fun one. Cody says, what's your fa- favorite video game of all time? That's wow, tough. I need to go last. Yeah, that's exceptionally tough. But I have a lot of video games that I've really loved. I probably need to think for a long time before I answer this. I'll say whatever I played where all of my friends were playing at the same time, Like those are the games that I really treasure the most and were they the best games no but i just remember you always log on you always play with your friends and so for us i think the first time i think modern warfare 2 and then call of duty black ops like those two we played i think just endlessly or maybe it was black ops 2 i like love those like just love playing with my friends i don't even know if i like the games honestly i really hate playing the call of duty games i think they're terrible we don't play them anymore so i don't buy them but 
I re- like whatever games me and my friends were all playing at the same time. For a hot second there, like early, early, like early seasons, it was Fortnite. And then we grew out of it and, and stopped playing that. But yeah, anything that all of my friends are playing. I know what mine is. What is it? It's Diablo 2. Yeah, I was going to say, you're a big Diablo guy. That was one of the first games I, Diablo 1 was one of the first games I ever played when it came out in 1995. Diablo 2 came out in 2000, and then the expansion in 2002. I still play it. I know Brad's, it's Pong. Yeah. Do you even have an answer to this? I have two. Okay. And they're from the same era as Evan. Obviously (laughs) give it away. NHL 98 and Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Oh, Pro Skater 2 is such a good answer. That was a jam. I 100%ed that game. Like, you remember when it got to the point of so obsessive, you had to complete every gap in the game? Yeah. I did that. I forget which one it was, what level, but there was a gap that took me about two months to finally hit. Yeah. Pro Skater 2 is up there. It's got to be top three for me. That is a fantastic answer. Wow. Uh, Weird games, like weird niche games when I was like a little kid. Two that I played, which probably don't hold up, but I loved was, uh, speaking of love pro skater too. So I like skateboarding games. Uh, it got gifted to me. Disney's ex- extreme skate adventure had no business being as good as it was. Uh, also the Harry Potter Quidditch game on PlayStation two. Well, don't look at me. I was an Xbox guy. That game. I, again, had no business being as good as it was at the time for me, man. I still remember this has got to be like going back to like. 93 94 ea sports talk baseball for sega it was one of the first video sports games that had commentary Mm. so it was like a big deal and i remember playing that thing over and over because i would have only been like six or seven when that thing came out so it was probably the first sports game i really got into because i think that came out before nhl 94 did so i kind of went backwards from how most hockey guys did and for those of you who are saying, wow, none of you answered the NHL games, it's like... I said NHL 98. You... No, but like... Eh. Which was which one was the one? Was Maybe it was... No, maybe it was 99 where if you like pressed like two buttons when you did a slap shot and it went in, the net would go on fire. Oh, and it was, I know it, what it you're was 3D. About. It was 3D. It, maybe it was NHL 99. I feel like that was after 98, yeah. Was uh, it even an NHL game or was it like one of those like Blades of Steel wait, type things? The... Um, the Red Wings prospects just did it at the prospect tournament. They played that game, and Keenan Draper played as Chris Draper. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. They they played what whatever that game I'm in, in that I'm thinking of. They played that game. I think it was NHL '99. Oh three, oh six, and ten. I remember liking, but it just turned into you know EA rehashed the same game every year and then stopped really playing it. Uh, Dylan Larkins Nana says rapid fire. Only answer over or under. First, Mazer plays 30 games in Detroit this year. Under. Under. I'm going to go under as well. Two, DeBrinket scores 33 goals. Over. Under. Over. I think my prediction was 34, so I kind of have to stick with it. <laughs> Three, Goss Bear has 17 power play points. Oh, man. I'm going to go under. God, that depends so much on what unit they play them on. I'm going to say under. I'll go over. Okay. Carzone13 says, being that you are all hockey players or have been, which Detroit Red Wings player would you want to step into the role of, or what player do you see your style matching up with the most, also league-wide, if that is relevant? Oh, man, style. Style? None of them. <laughs> so there were, there were one, growing up in the 90s, there was one very specific player I molded my game after, but he did not play for the Red Wings, so... Who? Pavel Bure? Yeah. Wow, I was kind of answering jokingly. No, no. I all like Eiserman was my idol, like, but I wanted to play the game of hockey like Pavel Bure. He was the most exciting player to watch in the 90s, which was when I was forming everything. I guess the closest Red Wing to that would probably be Sergey, maybe Pav. Like in different ways than Bure, but that like extremely quick, like skilled north-south game. Because that's where I'm better off the rush than the cycle. I love coming through the neutral zone with like a full head of steam. Like I'm like, you know, Derek Meech. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Is there a defenseman who could skate really well but not shoot for shit from the blue line? That's me. Oh, the Redwings have had hundreds. Yeah, thousands. Literally thousands. But I shoot right. Shoot right. That narrows the list. Yeah, it does. 
Evan, I don't know if you guys know this, actually played defense. I did, yeah. I don't know who my answer is. You Jake Wallman guy? Uh, yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah, maybe a little bit. You have Wallman vibes, but Wallman seems way more outgoing than you. Mm, I'm just always tired. When yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel like Wallman skates more than Evan ever would have. Yeah. Uh, who who is who is that like calm defenseman that you kind of never noticed? I feel like that's Evan just out there for the vibe. Nick Lidstrom, <laughs> Oli Mata. Just ca- oh, you know what? Oli Mata is right. Yeah, but I clap bombs and uh... vibes are <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> <Other things. laughs> Oli Mata, Evan Lobsinger, vibes are high, <laughs> outgoing, not so much. All right, last question here from Todd McTavish says you've mentioned that we have a league average first line and then three third lines. Would placing Cop and Comfer on the same line with Perron or Raymond on the other wing make up a league average second line? Well, you don't have a league average first line unless Raymond's on that first line. So that's not an option. So if you're talking Cop, Comfer, Perron as a second line, no, that's still a substantially below average second line. Yeah, like I'm not saying that could work as a comp, but it's, it's not a good NHL second line. No. I'm not saying that couldn't work as a combo. Like you might see it at some point if someone comes in and takes a third line center spot or copper comfort aren't working out there for, for one reason or another, but that won't, you don't solve Detroit's, you know, you have three second lines hypothetical or, or a problem that we've stated that they have without just adding better talent. Like there's no other combination of it other than bring in more talented guys, which seems ungrateful because the Red Wings just brought in Alex Dabrinkit, but it's more of a testament of how far you have to go to make a competitive team. Okay, we are in the throes of the offseason. We're going to wrap this up and jump into our Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episode. So we'd like to thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, Some news items for next week. Next week's episode is going to come on Monday night. Uh, We're not going to be recording on Sunday. We're going to be recording on Monday, so it's going to be a day delayed. Also, the midweek episode for this week, again, for the rest of the offseason will be Patreon exclusive. So stay tuned for that to come your way around Wednesday or maybe Thursday. Uh, So again, if you're a patron, you get those bonus episodes. And our next main episode is coming on Monday night. So that'll be uh, Monday, August 7th. We'd like to thank all of you so much for tuning in, all of you uh, for, for listening, whether you're a new listener or old. We appreciate you so much. If you want to help support the show and can't contribute on Patreon or, or not interested, another way you can support is by leaving us a rating wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Those ratings really help, as well as subscribing to the show and tell a friend. Uh, that means a lot to us. Speaking of Patreon, we'd like to thank all of our patrons, especially our name-level supporters. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice. On behalf of the Mooseheads, I apologize for Ferg Zadina and probably McIsaac. Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Buck the Suckeyes, Carl Brutanen-Aluski, Carzone 13, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote season, season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, don't say this is a guy challenge. Failed. Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow. Give Blood Fight Probert. Hockey Town Love. Hockey Town Matt. Hassam Alkasem. Jay Gollum. Jacob Turner. Joel Miranda. Kalen Wood. King Tone. Larkin the Cat and Raymond walk into a bar. Marcus. Marlon Winchester. Brand new name level supporter. Welcome, Marlon. Matt McKay. Michael Edland. Mitch Collins. Brand new name level supporter. RA Red 3. Ryan Hubbard. Scott Martin, that's what I appreciate about you. Woman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Preda, Kringleberg, brand new name level supporter, welcome Kringleberg, Darren Fick, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Go Green, Go White, Griffey Boy, Henrik, Robert, Deeks. I'm from Waterloo where the vampires hang out. I'm Ryan Hanna and Jonathan Erickson was a generational talent. Damn you, whoever did that. Instructions unclear. Cheesebag no longer fresh. James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, derogatory. John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt K. Cannon Fodder, the Cheesebag Army, 
Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Steven, Tatarsos, The Hodag, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, new name level supporter, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you in a few days. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.